1: Ah, the copperhead snake. It hisses before attacking. But that's not a copperhead. That's the Sullivan's RV freshwater tank overflowing into their black one, which is backing into their vent pipe, making for a very different kind of attack. One that arrives just in time for taco night. It's wild out there. When it gets too wild, Progressive has your RV covered. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Ball hurt himself. Grabbing onto his, his leg. Ball still down. They've got a foul to stop it. Instead, it gets ahead to Ennis. Ennis lays it up and in. And Alonzo Ball shaking up, grabbing that left ankle. Didn't even try to get up. <laughs>
2: Right, welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast. Where, on the one hand, while the Los Angeles Rams are celebrating their bid to the Super Bowl, non call asterisks notwithstanding, the Lakers, on the other hand, are unfortunately over here bemoaning the loss of their own Super Bowl. And sadly, yes, I'm talking about the boy wonder, that ball boy, Lonzo Ball. Do you see what I did there? Super Bowl, Super Ball. Anyways, um, To this point exactly, pretty much everything that could have gone wrong for the Lakers health-wise has unfortunately gone wrong. And even in spite of this latest huge gut punch to Alonzo Ball, the Lakers are currently 25-23, one loss out of 8th place. They're expecting Rajon Rondo back against the Minnesota Timberwolves on Thursday, and soon after that, hopefully LeBron James follows suit as well. And not to mention, we got a Zubats. Zubats. Zubak. So not all is totally lost, but we sure are at a pivotal crossroad of our season. And what do you know? The trade deadline is all but two and a half weeks away. So uh, strap yourselves accordingly. As you've probably noticed by now, I'm unfortunately by myself tonight. Tommy and Alan are very busy outside of them just being super depressed about the Lonzo ball injury. I wanted to make sure that we at least had a an episode for this week to fill in the gap and make sure that the Lakers legacy isn't on pause for a full two weeks, especially as the trade deadline begins to ramp up. So apologies that I will be rambling to hell on my own here, but hope you guys bear with me. It'll be a short episode, obviously, but I just wanted to just touch upon some of the uh, biggest topics in Lakers land, especially as uh, the trade rumors begin to ramp up. Before I get to that, though, as usual, please follow us on Twitter at Pod. Please also rate interview us on iTunes because the more you rate interview us, That is an extra day we will be ticking off from Lonzo Ball's total recovery time so that hopefully he can come back sooner than expected. So yes, please rate interview us on iTunes. We're still edging closer to 300. I know we can do it. Also, if you're in the giving spirit, please also consider donating to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash thelakerslegacypodcast. Even a dollar helps. Okay, so the rundown of tonight's episode will go as follows. We'll talk briefly about... The Lakers' valiant road trip, uh, for all intents and purposes, it was a very moral victory kind of road trip for the Lakers, in spite of the huge Lonzo Ball loss. We kind of got to see what this team is made of when they step up to the plate, how they fight adversity and all that jazz. So we'll touch briefly upon that and make sure that it's not a totally dim and dark episode. And then, obviously, we will also touch upon Lonzo Ball's injury, what that means for the Lakers, how they should go about approaching the trade deadline in light of that news. We'll talk a lot about Zubats as well. That's going to be another huge positive that um, I'll try and emphasize tonight. And then, because the trade deadline is approaching, there's only two and a half weeks at this point. Uh, Trade deadline is happening a week sooner now, before the All-Star break, which is a huge change for this season. But I'm going to go over... Some potential options for the Lakers what they might do with uh, the assets that they currently have whether or not they're gonna toy around with dealing that first round pick of theirs their 2019 first pick and just all of the rumors and hubbub surrounding the Lakers there's Carmelo Anthony there's a need for a point guard there's Anthony Davis looming in the wings right now he he might be out for a month. So. There's a a ton of stuff that's all kind of colliding here right before the trade deadline happens, and we're going to pretty much center our show around that. So, that's how the show's going to run. First, like I mentioned, before we bemoan and cry about the Lonzo Ball injury and how devastating that was, because it was devastating, I definitely don't want to overlook how inspiring the Lakers' road trip was. The Oklahoma City game and the Houston Rockets game. And... If you had told me that barring Alonzo Ball injury in the third quarter to the Houston Rockets, that the Lakers would have a pretty decent chance to come out of that road trip 2-0, I would have said, get out of here. You're using 11% of your brain, Michael Beasley. Go back in and change your shorts out because you're wearing practice shorts. I would have said something like that. But lo and behold, that's the reality of the situation. The Lakers were so close to coming out of this weekend, two zero. First, that Oklahoma City game. What a valiant effort that was to go into Oklahoma City. Paul George, Russell Westbrook. They did not have LeBron. They didn't have Rajon Rondo. They had been the Lakers had been playing so poorly against mediocre team. Medi- not even mediocre. That that's underselling it at this point. They were they were playing poorly against the worst of the worst in the NBA. They had lost the Cleveland Cavaliers. They played a pretty listless game against the Chicago Bulls. And for them to go into Oklahoma City, especially after the first quarter that they did have, where they were struggling outside of Kyle Kuzma hitting a few threes, they were struggling to really really gain any sort of footing in that game until the bench came in and revived their lifeless body and really injected our team with um, the energy that we needed to compete for the rest of the night. And then from there... Kyle Kuzma continued his stellar play, continued hitting these tough three-pointers where by the end of the game, he was getting... I don't remember if he got fouls called on his threes, but he was pretty much hitting those types of three-pointers where you could have called them four-point plays at a certain point. Uh, Lonzo Ball just hitting clutch shots at the end. He hit that 35-footer in overtime when the Lakers hadn't scored yet. And then from there, just clutch play after clutch play from Lonzo Ball, from Kyle Kuzma, from Ivica Zubats, absolutely tearing apart the Oklahoma City Thunder. And even in spite of that, you know, Brandon Ingram had a very tough game against the Thunder there offensively. And he did his best to get the team going, distributing the ball really well, playmaking. He had 11 assists that game. Only one field goal, but it came off of that amazing sequence where Kyle Kuzma passed it to Zubats. Zubats immediately passed it to Brandon Ingram, cutting on the baseline. Ingram for the dunk, pretty much sealing the win against the Thunder. And, you know, I just have to credit the young guys. That seemed like a turning point sort of game. Highlight clutch plays from all the young guys. Them just exerting their will, their effort, their intensity, playing amazing defense against Russell Westbrook and Paul George, pretty much scheming Paul George out of the game, and then just going to what worked. And Ivica Zubac is what worked for the Lakers that game. Ivica Zubac, I think, was a microcosm of the Lakers' effort and how they played against the Thunder because outside of the stats, which were stellar, by the way, 26 points, 12 rebounds on 12 for 14 shooting, If it's a Zubat's effort against Steven Adams, who is a respectable, more than respectable big, all-star caliber type big, who is strong AF down there, the fact that he was fighting against the likes of Steven Adams and tipping balls and getting second chance, third chance opportunities was incredible and I think exhibited the type of spirit that the rest of the Lakers played with uh, in that Thunder game. So... Obviously, what a lit game kudos to the Lakers young core for that game against Paul George and the how much wood could a Westbrook chuck if a Westbrook could chuck wood right uh, so they they played into they played into that plan perfectly with regards to allowing Westbrook to continue to chuck chuck up bad three-point shots and uh, pretty much scheme the rest of his teammates out, particularly Paul George. So obviously that was a great game. the start of the Houston game man, did they have a game plan going into that in terms of how to guard James Harden, pretty much playing a 4-1 and defense, right, where they had four guys pretty much just waiting to engulf James Harden at any one point. They're playing zone, and they they always had one guy uh, sticking to James Harden, and whenever James Harden would make a move, the guys would just collapse on him, and they were forcing the Houston Rockets role players to hit shots from the perimeter, and especially in the first half, they kind of got in the Rockets' head, made them think about every shot, made them a little self-conscious, and the plan was working to perfection. They were playing great defense, and with that, they were playing their style of ball in terms of leaking out, running on the break, and just really pounding it, taking it to the Houston Rockets and and shoving the ball down their throats. And obviously, Kyle Kuzma again started off hot in that game. He had 20 points in the first quarter, was hitting all of these threes, and they executed very well. And, And they played really well against the Houston Rockets. And then, of course... Lonzo Ball went down in the third quarter. That really deflated the entire team. Luke Walton admitted that he was frustrated not only because of the calls that were going against the Lakers, the non-calls that the Lakers were getting, but also just seeing Lonzo Ball go down like that in that sort of heap where he couldn't even walk off under his own power. Even He was so hurt that he wasn't even using his right leg you know, to kind of limp his way back to the locker room. So all that considered... You know, I know the, the game ended disappointingly, but you know, even with Lonzo Ball coming out, to see Lance Stevenson step up and pretty much almost lead the Lakers to a victory, that game went into overtime. And then in overtime, you know, Brandon Ingram against the Rockets had a terrible, awful game the first three quarters where he was turning the ball over. I think he had six turnovers um, entering the fourth. But to see him step up and just hit a bunch of clutch mid-range jump shots with guys in his grill and take the onus on himself to really pull the Lakers up amidst that, you know, Lonzo ball moment of defeat or deflation, you know, that was huge for the Lakers and they just weren't able to pull it out. But that was for me, the, the, the Houston Rockets game, in spite of the fact that we were so close, we probably should have won that game. We were up by seven with a minute left for me. That was still one of those moral victory types of games. And so I got to give the Lakers young core credit once again, unfortunately, after the dust has settled, Lonzo Ball is, is out, and I guess that's going to transition us into the current landscape for the Lakers. As we learned, Lonzo Ball is going to be out for the next four to six weeks. He has a, a grade three left ankle sprain, which is essentially a ligament tear to his ankle. You know, people have been at this point speculating whether or not that four to six weeks is an optimistic timeline. Because from everything we've seen from players who have suffered this same injury, namely Reggie Jackson, it took him almost two months, eight weeks in total. So people have been speculating on whether or not it'll take Lonzo Ball much longer to return this season. I will say that the grade three sprain happens in variations and Reggie Jackson's was on the worse end of that. And from everything I've heard, Lonzo Ball is on the lower end of the spectrum with regards to this grade 3 strain, which is probably why you see this 4-6 to week estimate. Now, if you want to play conspiracy theorist a little bit and say that the Lakers are putting out a pretty optimistic timeline right before the trade deadline just to make sure that they are not in a position of weakness when bargaining with other teams— then maybe that could explain the four to six week timeline. Realistically, though, it could be that Lonzo Ball is just on the lower end of the spectrum with regards to his grade three sprain and that, yeah, the recovery time for that is just typically four to six weeks. Now you take into account Lonzo Ball's player profile, how often he's gotten nicked up in his first two season seasons in the NBA, specifically with his ankle, and just the his personality and how long it's even taken him to get to this stage of aggression before this injury. And I think for me that four to six weeks, regardless of where you put it on the spectrum of a grade three ankle sprain is super optimistic. I think I'm looking at this Lonzo ball injury more as a two month sort of injury, even if he can get back to full speed sooner than Reggie Jackson, just looking at who Lonzo ball is as a player and what he's shown us up until this point, I think they're going to play it conservatively with him. And even if he's fully healthy, just to get over that mental hump of his, to be aggressive again. And we already saw how how long it took him this season to get to this point where he is driving the ball into the paint without fear, you know, actually attempting shots, whizzing up and down the court. Just having to come back from a devastating injury like this, just mentally, I think is going to take Lonzo Ball, tack on an extra two weeks after that. So for me, personally... I don't want to be too Debbie Downer about this, but honestly, for me personally, I'm looking at Lonzo Ball's season as pretty much a lost season at this point, and I'm pretty much viewing his return as a icing on the cake sort of deal, where if he can give us anything, that's great, but we shouldn't count on Lonzo Ball making a significant impact for the rest of this season, especially if we make it into the playoffs. You know, This kind of reminds me of Bynum's knee injury back in 2009-10 where he suffered it I think around February and the prognosis was he'd be back before the playoffs and even though he was back before the playoffs he just wasn't as effective Uh, he was able to play here and there Uh, he even played against Dwight Howard in the finals but he just wasn't the same player the same dominant player he was during the season and even more so for a younger player like Lonzo Ball you know. so at this point I think it's best for Lakers fans to view Lonzo Ball's injury as this season's pretty much a wash and the Lakers have to move forward assuming that Lonzo Ball will not be the same player that he has been helping carry the Lakers in LeBron's absence this season and that they need to make contingency plans with that mindset in place. So obviously that's going to lead us into the trade deadline. And first, before I, I get into that, you know, it's really a shame that Lonzo Ball had to go down the way that he did especially with regards to the timing of just how aggressive he had become, how he was just exerting his presence onto the court on defense and on offense and doing such a great job facilitating for his teammates. This was the best stretch that I've ever seen Lonzo Ball play. And for this injury to come now, just when his confidence, I think that's the biggest thing, right? Outside of the stats, his confidence was at an all-time high. For this to knock him down again, it's almost like, one huge step forward, then two steps back. It's It just sucks, right? And uh, Luke Walton said that Lonzo Ball was pretty much emotionally devastated. And I can, I can totally relate to that. You know, since January 7th, that Mavericks game... Yeah, since January 7th, in that Mavericks game when Lonzo Ball blew up for 21 points, Lonzo Ball has averaged 13 points, 6.4 rebounds, 8.1 assists, with only two turnovers, and 1.7 steals. Those are his stats in January, before this injury. And he was on his way to leading the Lakers to what would have been a pretty formidable win against the Houston Rockets. I think they were up by 12 or 14 points at that point. And so, again, really, really sucks for... Obviously, Lakers Nation, the rest of our team's prognosis this season, but more especially for Lonzo Ball, who's worked so hard to get to this point and probably went through a lot of mental hurdles to reach this point where he is driving the ball relentlessly and attempting shots that we haven't seen him attempt and being confident even with his three-point shot and initiating the ball off his own dribble. So, yeah, we, we hope Lonzo Ball has a speedy recovery. And, you know, hopefully I'm proven wrong. And if he's able to come back you know, with a month left in the season that maybe what he's gone through during the first half of this season will help him sort of snap back into place a little quicker than, you know, I had anticipated. So we'll see. With that said, one positive thing I wanted to get to before we get into the trade deadline stuff and what do we do in light of this Lonzo Ball injury, um, I just wanted to highlight the emergence
0: of Ivica Zubac because... This is Mike from the Almighty Baller Network. It's nice to have a helping hand, especially when it's tax season, and that hand is attached to a licensed tax professional. With TurboTax Live, you can talk to real CPAs and EAs on demand who can review your return with you before you file and to make sure you get your maximum refund. They can even check your work line by line so you can be confident it's done right. Who knew confidence and peace of mind could be synonymous with taxes? TurboTax Live with CPAs and EAs on demand. See details at TurboTax.com. Let TurboTax Live be your helping hand. Visit turboTax.com today. This
2: guy has been a revelation. And I think even more so than when he broke out for us his rookie year. And we were like, oh, this guy reminds me of Marcus All. He has such soft hands and he plays pretty solid defense and he knows where to position himself and he's just a hefty body, et cetera, et cetera. I think even more so than that season, Ivica Zubats has really made his presence felt for a team that is struggling. And scraping to find wins, so he is putting in some really meaningful minutes this season. You know, even before LeBron James went down because Javale McGee was dealing with his uh, pneumonia illness, uh, and they inserted Ivica Zubats to this in the starting lineup for that very first game, and everybody was like, "Oh my God, Luke, what are you doing?" And then he came out and surprised us all by by getting 16 and 11 against Anthony Davis, and then shortly after that, 19 and four against the Memphis Grizzlies, and then of course against the Golden State Warriors, 18 and 11. So, Ivica Zubac has only done more of that in the last three games since Luke Walton made that shuffle in the starting lineup to put Tyson Chandler in, demote JaVale McGee to the bench, but also, as part of that, give Zubots a lot more minutes in a, in a larger role. So, in the last three games, Zubots, I mean, his stats are, are ridiculous. Zubots is averaging 20.3 points, 7.7 rebounds, on 82% from the field and 94% from the free throw line. Also, give it up to Zubats again for hitting those clutch free throws uh, against the Houston Rockets on Saturday. I mean, that was super ballsy by him to just step up to the plate, kind of stone-faced, uh, not letting the nerves get to him and shoot his flat-ass shot straight into the rim on the season i think he's one of our best foul shooters at this point which is incredible to think about on the season zubots is an 89.6% foul shooter so let him shoot the uh, technical fouls and uh, defensive 3 second technicals so look at this point if it's a zubots hands down should be the lakers starting center luke walton has said as much with regards to at least giving zubots a larger role on this offense after his stellar last few games. I mean, even against the Golden State Warriors, which is pretty much a trash game. He put up 18 points on seven of eight shooting in only 20 minutes, you know? So not even just on the offensive end, but defensively, I feel like Zubats has done a better job than JaVale McGee and even Tyson Chandler of standing his ground and really deterring shots in the paint and at least being a a guy who takes up space in there. And you know, we saw it his first in, in his first year as a rookie where he just had really good timing with his shot blocking. Even though he wasn't the fastest on the court, his lateral movement was uh, sorely lacking, he would always somehow get these really impressive block shots at the end of guys' layups, you know? And we're seeing that sort of Zubat's defense this year as well. And I think with a better understanding of how to patrol the paint and and, uh, guard guys without necessarily lunging at every shot fake that comes his way, you know? So even defensively, I felt like Zubats has been very impressive and the defensive net ratings of the lineups where he's out there, I think bear that out as well. Um, But offensively, you know, the last episode, Tommy and I talked about what the Lakers need, what the Lakers roster needs, and we brought up, you know, an offensively skilled interior post sort of guy who can just help them down low and i think zubats has kind of emerged into that role without us even pulling the trigger on a trade yet he's become that guy who you can dump the ball down to and let him go to work and uh, recently it's just been zubats's soft hands his over the shoulder right hooks left hooks getting the offensive rebounds and really, really battling for these rebounds and just softly flipping the ball back into the hoop. The other thing is he sets really great screens. And so whenever he rolls, guys like Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Kyle Kuzma are easily able to find him and he's just able to finish off of those great dimes. And as we've said before, he just knows how to take up space smartly in the paint. And I know this is going to sound super homery and um, hyperbolic, but... Zubats's emergence this season, and I know it's a super small sample size up until this point, but his emergence kind of reminds me of Andrew Bynum's emergence. Another Andrew Bynum parallel, by the way. This one, a positive one. Yeah, this emergence this year reminds me of Bynum's own emergence in 2007-08 when, you know, the Kobe trade, that was the Kobe trade demand season. All that stuff about Kobe telling the front office to ship Andrew Bynum's ass out for Jason Kidd, then going on the airwaves telling Stephen A. Smith he'd rather play on Mars than play in a Lakers uniform. And that season turned around because Andrew Bynum all of a sudden found himself during the first half of that season and became a a dominant big man in the league who was on his way to becoming a starting caliber center, I think, through the first 39 games or so, Andrew Bynum was averaging around 14 points and nine rebounds and really being a defensive presence and all of a sudden giving Kobe something to hope for. And the Lakers, I think, were you know first in the West or they were top three in the West at that point. Obviously, LeBron James not being healthy the entire season has kind of put a wrench into where the Lakers could potentially be, stand- be in the standings right now, especially with Zubats playing as well. But to a much smaller extent... The growth that we've seen from him mirrors that of Andrew Bynum's in my eyes. Just because it seems like the most unexpected, and it's also the most jarring from how we were viewing Zubots in the offseason to now. It mirrors how we viewed Andrew Bynum when Kobe wanted his ass shipped out to what we saw out of Andrew Bynum when the 2007-8 season started. And all of a sudden, he came into his own. He was opening people's eyes. And we were like, we need this guy to compete for a championship, and we can't trade him. So I I wouldn't say we're exactly to that point with Zubats. But the fact that I'm sitting here and saying Zubats has turned into the type of center that Tommy and I, an episode or two ago, were longing for and hoping that the Lakers would trade for is pretty amazing. So yeah, huge props to Ivica Zubats for turning his season around. Not only his season, but his career around and becoming a valuable asset for the Lakers. Hopefully... That means a valuable asset for the rest of the season and moving forward because I think having a guy like Zubots to fill out a roster of LeBron James, potentially a Kevin Durant type second superstar, it's, it's important to have low contract type guys like Zubots to fill your roster around. And I would not be surprised if Ivica is the starting center for whatever super team the Lakers have next year, or whatever super team we hope to have next year. I think his contract and the the fact that the Lakers have his control this summer and can extend him his qualifying offer of $1.9 million and make him a restricted free agent is extremely valuable. It's extremely valuable for them, potentially another team, if they somehow decide to dangle Zubats at the trade deadline. All I know is that when the Lakers are star chasing, to have A guy like Zubats, such a talented guy with still so much promise and potential, the fact that he's only taking up 1.9 million on your cap books and you can go over the cap to extend him or match any restricted free agency offer, that is extremely valuable. So we'll see what the Lakers decide to do. I'm of the opinion that I don't think they're just going to willy nilly trade Zubats off for a random rental. If it's for a guy like Vucevic, sure, then they probably pull that trigger. But if it's for anything less, I think they hold on to Zubats and just have his low cap hold on their books, make the signings that they need to sign in terms of whether it's Kevin Durant, whether it's Klay Thompson, whether it's Kawhi Leonard, or even a lesser max free agent punt guy like DeAndre Jordan, DeMarcus Cousins, Julius Randle, um, Marcus Gasol, if he if he opts out of his player option with the Memphis Grizzlies, the Lakers can go over the cap after they make those signings for their second big star, and go over the cap to re-sign Zubat. So I think that's valuable for them to to just have Zubats on the roster and, and play the season out. Because, like I mentioned before, I mean he is turning into the player that Tommy and I would have wanted to trade for. With regards to this trade deadline, we were looking for guys like Vucevic guys like Ennis Cantor that the Lakers could target to help fill their you know low post interior scoring and and put someone there who's more offensively skilled and able to actually do something with the ball whenever the Lakers you know dump it down into the post and then do something with the ball in ways that JaVale McGee and Tyson Chandler can't where it's just straight pick and rolls for those guys straight dunks JaVale McGee can hit a hook shot here and there but as we've seen more often than not, it's of the Shaqton in a full variety with regards to his shot selection. And he really doesn't have good touch down there the way that Zubats does. So props to Zubats. We'll see what the Lakers plan to do with him. It's I think at the end of the day that he will stick on the roster and that this summer the Lakers will make smart use of his low cap hold and keep him on the team, especially because the Lakers may be losing a couple of other other young guys in another superstar trade, you know? So it's important to keep whatever low-cap hold, low-salary young players that you can keep to fill out your roster that will eventually probably become very top-heavy because of LeBron James, Anthony Davis this, Kevin Durant that, Kawhi Leonard this, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So with that said, I'm going to end our show and just talk about, yeah, the trade deadline what the Lakers might do. We'll get into more detail as Tommy and Alan come back and as we get closer to the actual trade deadline date of February 7th. But for now, I'm just going to give you a lay of the land once again and just go over some options, especially in light of the recent injury to Lonzo Ball. As I mentioned, some things have happened in the last week or so since our last episode, mainly Ivica Zubac's emergence and assuming that role of the post-interior offensively skilled center that Tommy and I were coveting and Lonzo Ball's injury so two of those things happen and I think that kind of shifts the priorities for me with regards to what I think the front office should be looking at and targeting I think shooting still is definitely something that they should look to fill whether that's a guy like Terrence Ross Uh, Tommy actually had a Troy Daniels I don't know if you remember Troy Daniels but he was hitting big shots for the Houston Rockets a couple seasons ago in the playoffs just a dead-eye shooter Um, Wayne Ellington's name has been thrown about there. former Laker Wayne Ellington he's currently not playing at all for the Miami Heat so he could probably be had for a second round pick I think filling out the roster with another shooter is a good idea but I think more so in light of the fact that Lonzo Ball went down, even though Rajon Rondo and LeBron James are due back soon, I think now the Lakers have to sort of prioritize the point guard position and and just get another playmaker. I know Lance Stevenson is there to help sort of stem the tide, but he's a little too erratic for me. And even with regards to when Rajon Rondo's been down and when LeBron James has been down, he's been inconsistent at best. You know, he's had his few games where he's really spurred the Lakers on but more often than not he has not been consistent so I think the Lakers should either trade for another point guard a really solid bench caliber type point guard to help Rajon Rondo out or sign that guy off of waivers and I say that because yes Lonzo Ball's injury is not season ending but like I mentioned at the start of the show we cannot view this as yeah Lonzo Ball will be back before the playoffs he'll get himself acclimated once again, and then by the time the playoffs start, we'll get back to aggressive Zoe. We just have to view this as we're moving on with the rest of the season, not anticipating Lonzo Ball to have a huge role coming back. If he does, then that's great, but we can't operate like we are counting on that, right? So in in that respect, even though we're getting two huge playmakers back in LeBron James and Rajon Rondo, this team was built to have Lonzo Ball, Rajon Rondo, LeBron James, Brandon Ingram—all these guys be playmakers, right? And if we're gonna have, if we're gonna make any sort of noise in the playoffs, we're gonna need to fill those positions up. We're gonna need to fill Lonzo Ball's shoes. And let's not kid ourselves: Rajon Rondo may go down with another injury. He has not been healthy the last three or four years of his career. This season alone, he's had two different hand injuries, and. To just count on the fact that he'll be back and he won't get injured again, I don't think is smart. So even just getting insurance for Rajon Rondo, I think is something that the Lakers have to consider doing. So with regards to trade candidates out there, I think the biggest one on everybody's list right now is Jeremy Lin, because he's an expiring contract, about $12 as well. He's on the Atlanta Hawks. He is sort of playing mentor to Trey Burke. Sorry, Trey Burke, to uh, Trey Young. Trey Burke is another option, by the way. Uh, He's playing mentor to Trey Young currently, averaging about 10.8 points, 2.4 rebounds, 3.6 assists. He's had a very solid season overall. More importantly, he is a pick-and-roll maestro. He can do a lot with the ball, and given how the Lakers love to put the ball in a primary initiator's hands and allow them to be creative. Jeremy Lin is exactly that type of player. I think he would find an immediate groove with someone like Yvitsa Zubats, who has soft hands and can catch balls and just lay it in really easily. And then, of course, there's Jeremy Lin and his relationship with Tyson Chandler. They can reignite Lin's sanity again to a much lesser extent, but uh, obviously he has chemistry with those types of bigs who know how to roll and set picks. and. And that obviously goes for JaVale McGee as well because all you have to do is loft it into the air and if it's within a radius of nine feet, actually, he'll be able to jam it down. And Jeremy Lin loves to find his big. So in that regard, Jeremy Lin would actually be a huge asset and we could run essentially what we did with Lonzo Ball and and Rajon Rondo with Lin and make that rush hour two sort of combo with uh, Rondo and Lin. And when the offense bogs down... Lin can really push the pace the same way Lonzo Ball does. And in some respects, he adds a component that Lonzo doesn't have because Jeremy Lin is a very good mid-range scorer. He knows how to put guys in jail with his dribble uh, and patrol the paint in ways that Lonzo has not perfected yet. In ways that Steve Nash used to just kind of patrol the paint, use his dribble to get guys... um, almost riding him and get these foul calls. Lin knows how to do expertly at this point in his career. He's pretty much a very smart, savvy veteran and he knows how to utilize his floater. He knows how to hit those mid range jump shots and he can still drive it into the paint relentlessly whenever he gets a first step on his man. So, I would put Jeremy Lin at the top of the Lakers trade target list, and I don't think they'd have to give up too much. Obviously, they'd have to trade KCP to match salaries because Lin is making about $12 million for this the rest of the season. I think a three-team trade with a playoff team like Brooklyn would work where KCP goes to the Nets, and the Nets could really use another wing defender like KCP. The Nets then send Jared Dudley and some outgoing assets to the Atlanta Hawks, and then the Atlanta Hawks give the Lakers Jeremy Lin. Another team would be the Sixers. They have been known to covet KCP. Um, we heard those reports earlier in the season that they wanted KCP. Um, so in that respect, KCP goes to the Sixers. Sixers send Wilson Chandler's salary out to the Atlanta Hawks along with a you know, future first-rounder or even an early second-round pick. Lakers get Jeremy Lin. So I think they can facilitate a Lin trade easily if another team doesn't come up with a substantially more competitive offer than just KCP and a second-round pick via a third-team trade. So I would put Lin at the top. Um, After that, I would try and go after guys like Shabazz Napier would be second on my list uh, on the Brooklyn Nets. He had a stellar close to the season for the Portland Trailblazers last year. And if you're talking about playoff experience, he actually has it. And if we remember, LeBron James loves Shabazz Napier because he pretty much forced the Miami Heat to draft him and then immediately left Miami to go back to Cleveland. Um, But in all seriousness, Shabazz Napier is just a really, really solid player. And when he's gotten minutes for the Brooklyn Nets this year, has been really impressive. And so to have another guy like that who's a smooth scorer and can really do something off his own dribble, I think would be just as good as getting a Jeremy Lin type player. You know, out of all this, I think where the Lakers will suffer the most in Lonzo's absence is defense, but I think guys like Lynn and Napier aren't so horrendous defensively, especially Lynn. I can't speak so much to Napier's defensive credibility, but the offensive capabilities that these guys can bring to the table, I think maybe even is a little bit more than what, what Lonzo has brought, although that's arguable given how well he's played in the last month or so. But having said that, Lynn, Napier, and then I'd go after guys like Trey Burke on the New York Knicks, who is not really getting any playing time anymore. He's more of a scoring guard, but at least, you know, if the offense bogs down, then you can give him the ball. Um, DJ Augustine on the Orlando Magic, once they stop fooling themselves into thinking that they can make a competitive run in the East, although it is the Eastern Conference. Any team can make a competitive run at this point, even the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, So DJ Augustine would be another guy. Corey Joseph on the Indiana Pacers. So these are some of the guys that I would look to trade for. But it would pretty much start with Lynn and then Napier. And then maybe from there, the Lakers will just sign a buyout sort of guy. If they're looking for other veterans, there are guys like Ramon Sessions, uh, Norris Cole, and Mario Chalmers, who have played with LeBron James before. Jameer Nelson, Jarrett Jack, if you're looking for the veteran type of guy. All I know is I think the Lakers do need to shore up that point guard position and get another playmaker who can create and distribute for others and and also potentially also score for himself i think that would greatly benefit this team because like i said yes rondo's back yes lebron's back but this roster wasn't built to have just rondo or just lonzo but to have both of them healthy to create 48 minutes of hell and at this point we've only ever had one or the other this season we've maybe gotten you know, ten games of Rondo and Lonzo Ball playing together. And we've seen how how good they've looked, where they're they're able to just pressure the other team's defense because Lonzo Ball comes out and Rondo comes in to orchestrate the offense and man the show. And we need to replace that. We need to have that in place with Lonzo out for the next one to two months or more. Yeah. So I think getting another point guard is, is essential, even though some people may may just say, no, LeBron's back, Rondo's back, we'll rely on Caruso and and whatnot. But I just think having another playmaker is essential. And, And while I obviously enjoy watching Lance Stevenson go on his dribbling escapades and sometimes be especially dynamic and almost help us win games on his own, I just think we need another more solid, stable, and consistent presence like a Jeremy Lin or a Shabazz Napier. So hopefully they go out and shore that up, even if it's at the expense of a KCP. We'll see what they do. Um, Outside of that, there have been talks about Vucevic. So until I hear that the Orlando Magic are willing to give Vucevic up, I'm not going to entertain that angle as much, just because Vucevic is about to become probably an all-star in the Eastern Conference and the Orlando Magic have been in the dumps for so long that to have a guy who could potentially be considered an all-star I think is important for that franchise and they may still end up deciding they may still decide at the end of the season that they want to re-sign Vucevic so I don't think that they're just going to give him up for nothing look if they're going to take the Lakers 2019 first round pick and uh, KCP in a third-team trade, and maybe we need to throw in a Mo Wagner or whatever, then sure, let's, let's, let's bring Vucevic on. But for now, I'm not going to entertain that angle or that thought just because I, I don't think that the Orlando Magic are at that point where they're just willing to give up their best player this season. And then with regards to Marc Gasol, you know, Woj put out that article today saying the Memphis Grizzlies are finally willing to entertain trading Mike Conley and Marc Gasol and closing this book on the grid and grind era of the Memphis Grizzlies. I just think that the Grizzlies are going to be super unrealistic about this, and and I just think they're going to want too much. I think they're going to still require a king's ransom, even though Marc Gasol can essentially become an unrestricted free agent and leave them for nothing next summer. Actually, it's ironic the case that Marc Gasol is in because it would almost benefit the Lakers if Marc Gasol was an unrestricted free agent. Then they could maybe cull up together a realistic package to try and trade for him. But the problem for the Lakers is if they trade for Marc Gasol, he may actually opt in and use his player option. And that's him opting into $23 next next year. And the Lakers are reserving that for the likes of Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, Clay Thompson... And if if we trade for Marc Gasol and he goes down with a gruesome injury, he is for sure taking that player option and opting into next year. And then the Lakers are boned for next year. You know, So that's the scenario that they don't want to even consider risking. So I think Marc Gasol is off the plate in that respect. If he was an unrestricted free agent and we had guarantee that he would not, opt-in to his player option, then yeah, maybe try and pull together the best package you can of Mo Wagner, the 2019 first-round pick, KCP in a three-team trade, and see if the Memphis Grizzlies will bite. But I think right now, there's obviously, there's no way Marc Gasol is going to promise the Lakers that he will become an res- unrestricted free agent in the summer, because if he gets injured, that's his insurance for, for that. So yeah, right now as it stands, I'm ruling out Nikola Vucevic and Marc Gasol off of the Lakers' potential trade deadline plans. Just because I think it's unrealistic. One, I don't think the Orlando Magic are going to trade their all-star center in Vucevic. And then two, I think the Memphis Grizzlies are going to be asking for too much in return for Marc Gasol. And then on the other side of that, the Lakers need to take back an expiring, and Marc Gasol right now is a player with a player option, and he's not exactly a quote-unquote expiring. He's an expiring for the Grizzlies because he could end up leaving them, and he doesn't like that situation. But for the Lakers, he may actually like playing in L.A., and we have no guarantee that he's going to rescind his player option and become an unrestricted free agent, allowing the Lakers for max flexibility. One under-the-radar target that I think the Lakers should look at, in spite of how good Zubots has been, and if we're still looking in this offensively skilled big-man realm, would be, I mentioned him earlier, Ennis Cantor. Right now, he is unhappy with his role on the New York Knicks. He's currently playing third-string center. I think they outright said you're the third-string center, and... He has no role. He's an expiring contract. And if there was any sort of player that I feel like the Lakers should maybe leverage their 2019 first round pick for, it would be someone like Ennis Kanter because he can pretty much do everything that Zubats is doing and he's proven it with a much larger sample size. He's like a big body. I think he's a pick and pop option, something that Zubats I don't think can provide consistently enough right now. Uh, defensively, he's a sieve. Zubots probably beats him in that respect. But in terms of just having another offensively competent low post scorer to dump the ball down into like Cantor, who you know is pretty much rates at an eight or a nine in that respect, I think that's that's the time where you can probably, you know, trade your 2019 first round pick, which again becomes useless for the Lakers the moment they draft that player in this upcoming draft. So Ennis Cantor is another name to look out for. I think that'll do it with regards to trade targets and, and all that jazz because I'll have Tommy and Alan come on and we can talk about them uh, in more detail and more articulately, articulately because right now I feel like I'm blabbering. I will say, and I'll end with this, with regards to the Lakers' 2019 first-round draft pick, on the one end, it'll be interesting to see how the Lakers actually go about using that. I think it's very possible that they do nothing with it and they hold on to it till draft day. I think it's also very possible that they trade it on draft day in a package for Anthony Davis. As we see, things are not going well in New Orleans. Anthony Davis may be out for even longer than expected. He may be out for one for the next month or so. And by that time, the New Orleans Pelicans will definitely be out of the playoff race and the writing's going to be the writing has been on the wall for the Pelicans. And as we've seen in previous draft days, those are that's usually the time outside of the trade deadline, where some of the biggest superstar trades happen. Uh, That's when the Jimmy Butler trade went down, Ray Allen, Kevin Garnett. Uh, We've seen some big moves happen at the trade deadline just because teams can can actually leverage their lotto picks or their first-round draft picks and package them with other assets. And so this is why I think the Lakers maybe hold off on potentially trading their 2019 first-round pick this trade deadline. I still think it's going to be traded. I just think that might happen on draft day. And I think that's when the Lakers will make their their most aggressive push to try and trade for Anthony Davis and maybe come up with a package of their 2019 first-round pick, a future 2021 first-round pick, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Kyle Kuzma, Josh Hart. I think they're going to go all in on draft day for Anthony Davis. And obviously that kind of ruins their plans of waiting for free agency to see if Kevin Durant or Kawhi Leonard will come, but... I think a report came out that said the Lakers are prioritizing Anthony Davis even over some of those guys. So in a perfect world, yes, you're you able to sign Kawhi Leonard and Kevin Durant using no assets, and then you pivot and trade for Anthony Davis after that. I just don't think the Lakers can wait for that perfect world to materialize. As we've seen with the uh, Paul George non-play, the Kawhi Leonard non-play, I think the first opportunity the Lakers get to possibly trade for Anthony Davis I think they'll take it and I know that at the trade deadline the Boston Celtics still won't be at play because they're still they still have to deal with Kyrie Irving's future and it's very likely that the New Orleans Pelicans will want to wait to see what Boston has to offer I just think that the the Lakers will still make an aggressive push to force the Pelicans' hands at the trade deadline to make a decision on Anthony Davis and maybe take whatever godfather package that um, they may offer up come the 2019 NBA draft. So with that said, I'll leave it at that. I have talked a lot. I hope you've been able to stay with me. I hope you don't think I'm a blabbering fool. Even if you do, hopefully I've been able to help you and whatever long commute you've had just sort of pass the time and and give you some things to think about as we get closer and closer to the trade deadline. LeBron James is hopefully back in the next week or so. Rajon Rondo, it sounds like, will be back for the Minnesota Timberwolves game to help relieve the Lakers' playmaking. So yeah, hopefully the Lakers can gain some ground here. And uh, with the trade deadline looming, we'll just have to buckle up, strap on, strap yourselves. I think it's going to be a pretty interesting trade deadline, as has been mentioned before. Magic Johnson and Rob Palenka have been very active in their last two years at the trade deadline, and I don't anticipate that being any different this year, especially with this being LeBron James' first year. I know he's realistic about the Lakers' possibilities this year, but the front office also has to toe the line between being realistic and also not wasting away a year of LeBron's, another year of LeBron's prime by not assembling the most competitive roster that they can assemble, even if it is, you know, just... To make the second round. So, with that said, I'll leave it at that. As usual, please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate and interview us on iTunes. Next episode, I'll be back with Tommy and, and Alan. Maybe both of them. We'll see. Uh, but yeah, strap yourselves. Trade deadline's coming. LA Rams in the Super Bowl. Let's go. All right. That's it. Peace.